Welcome back to Investigate Joe Rogan. This is the podcast where I fact check and investigate things that have been said on the Joe Rogan experience. Today I'll be looking at episode 1784 with Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf. If you can't tell from my voice, I am sick. I know some of you already have a problem with my voice. This probably won't help matters. But I didn't want to wait around to make this episode until I was feeling better. Because this is very this is a very pressing issue. Grass-fed beef. This is probably the biggest issue of our time. So I knew I had to get this episode out as soon as possible. <coughs> Don't leave one cough in so that the people so that people can hear that I'm sick. Don't edit it out. Don't edit that out. But, but enough about how sick I am. Although it does mean that you cannot really take issue with the things I say in this episode because I have an excuse. I am sick. You have to pity me and you can't really criticize what I say. But anyway, the first thing they bring up in support of the carnivore diet, which they both seem to advocate in some way or another, is this Harvard study, which is called Behavioral Characteristics and Self-Reported Health Status, among 2029 adults consuming a, quote, carnivore diet, unquote. Now, Wolf does admit that this paper is pretty flimsy because it is all self-reported data. There was no oversight or anything. It wasn't even really a study, per se. But he says that according to this paper, 95% of people on a carnivore diet were able to stop taking their meds. 95% is pretty high, and meds is a pretty vague term. This would essentially mean that eating only meat cures everything. You could just tell your psychiatrist, you should do this. You should tell your psychiatrist, who probably works for the FBI anyway, that you are done with your meds and you are replacing them with steak. Except you should not do this. The paper does not say this. It says that almost all of the people with diabetes reported reductions in diabetes medication use. But again, this was self-reported info from like 2,000 people. So make of this what you will. You also kind of have to imagine like the sort of people who would be doing this, if if you see what I mean. Wolf also says that pork is the only food common to all of the blue zones, except for Loma Linda, which is the one with all the Seventh-day Adventists. The blue zones are areas where people live longer than usual, in case you're unaware. This pork thing isn't true, and also none of the blue zone people eat very much meat. So I'm not sure this is something that carnivore people should really bring up too much. However, what he said about Mormons living longer than average, just like Seventh-day Adventists, despite the fact that they do eat meat, just like the general population, is true. One of the things Mormons share with Seventh-day Adventists is not smoking or drinking. Mormons eat meat, but they do not smoke or drink. So maybe that's the real secret here. I know, that's, that's pretty shocking. You shouldn't smoke or drink. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, this is breaking news. Their other big diet advice is that you should actually eat twice as much protein as the government tells you to. I couldn't really find a compelling reason to think this, but it's easy to see how it plays into their whole ideology. 
for the average 200-pound, healthy, large American fellow, this would mean eating 144 grams of protein per day. This would be very difficult without eating a lot of meat, as you can imagine. Diana also says that animal protein is simply better than plant protein. This is only kind of true. Animal protein is a complete protein. It has all the amino acids. And there is no one plant that has all the amino acids. But you can combine plants pretty easily to get them all with like just two different plants. So I don't know if you can really just say that meat is really better on this front, just across the board. They also say that you can't eat banana peels. In fact, they say that banana peels are toxic. But this is just anti-banana peel propaganda. Not only can you eat banana peels, but you should. Because they're full of fiber and antioxidants. They're probably lying on purpose about this to trick people into not eating banana peels for some sort of nefarious reason. Possibly they are hoarding all the banana peels for themselves. Now, both Diana and Wolf say that their, their sort of carnivore origin story was being gluten intolerant. And they say that a lot of people think gluten intolerance is fake, but that it is actually real. Now, gluten intolerance is real. But in a more serious sense, it is fake. Allow me to explain. One third of Americans say that they try to avoid gluten, but celiac disease, which is the diagnosable form of gluten intolerance, only affects 1% of people. Now, there's something known as gluten sensitivity, where you don't like gluten and it affects you, but you don't have actual celiac disease. But the thing is, there's no test you can take to get diagnosed with this. And most of the people who self-report don't actually fit the diagnostic criteria. So it is a real thing, but you're still safe in assuming that anyone who says they're gluten intolerant is wrong. It sounds harsh, but this is the truth. It's also funny to me personally, which of course makes it fine to think like this. They talk about Beyond Meat a lot in this episode, which is uh, sort of the most popular fake meat company. It's vegan, and it just tastes like meat. And Diana says that it is twice as expensive as grass-fed beef. Now, obviously, this depends on where you live, how much it costs. But where I live, anyway, this is not the case. And I doubt that there's anywhere in America where it's that expensive. Where I live, at least, Beyond Meat is the most expensive. It is a dollar more than grass-fed beef. If you're looking at 16 ounces, then it's a dollar more than grass-fed beef. And then grass-fed beef, in turn, is a dollar more than regular beef. This simple reality is probably the most important thing that they never address. I will, I'll talk about that later. Diana also says that 85% of cattle in the U.S. are living on land that couldn't be used for crops anyway. The implication being that getting rid of the cows wouldn't result in more plant food because the land couldn't be used for plant food anyway. I couldn't find anything on this stat, but I also just have a problem with this argument. It's basically a loaded question. It's saying that the only two valid uses of land are cows or crops. 
when in reality the third option is just using it for nothing, just leaving it wild. Now at one point, Rogan asks them point blank, if the grass-fed beef model is scalable, could all beef be grass-fed their whole lives? This is now the third episode where I have talked about this. Somehow this incredibly niche issue keeps coming up on the Joe Rogan experience. I have never seen this mentioned anywhere else in any other media, but Joe Rogan is apparently quite interested in this topic. And it is, it's kind of an interesting topic. Wolf quickly deflects the question, and he says, well, the current system can't go on forever anyway because of antibiotic resistance. The antibiotic resistance problem, in case you're unaware, has way bigger implications for humans than for cows. But we are talking about cows in this episode. Antibiotic resistance has the potential to totally change uh, the medical industry forever. But again, we are focusing on the cows here. They are working on ways to deal with this problem besides just getting rid of the feedlot system. For instance, probiotics and prebiotics are being researched as potential alternatives. Also, grass-fed beef get antibiotics as well. At least some of them do. If bacteria that kills cows becomes totally resistant to antibiotics, grass-fed cows are also in trouble. Diana deflects the question at first, too. She deflects it so hard that the first thing she says is something about how scale is based on the human population, which should perhaps be different. This is a powerful deflection. This is like when you, you shoot a basketball and it hits right on the edge of the rim and it like shoots across the whole court. She really went big with it. But then later she says, yes, it would scale. All beef could be grass-fed in America. And I, I can't help but feel as though if you're so focused on grass-fed beef that you want the human population to be based around what would be best for the beef industry, you may not have your priorities totally straight. As I've said the previous two times this has come up, there is enough land to scale up. America has plenty of space. If you don't believe me, drive from your state to another state. You will quickly realize that America is mostly empty. There's almost nothing here. 40% of the land in the continental U.S. is currently being used for cows. But we could go higher. We could go higher. I read a paper that said if all beef was grass-fed, this would have to be 60% of the land. And we could do this. We have the space. But the real question is why would we? Why would this happen? Grass-fed beef, which is currently a tiny fraction of the market, would have to dominate the entire market. But yes, it is logistically possible. Another reason, Diana says, that the current food system will inevitably collapse is that we are going to run out of fertilizer, so we will have to use only animals for nutrients. But I mean, according to even the most conservative interpretation of the IFDC's assessments, we have over a hundred years of phosphates left to mine. I mean, I probably don't even have to say this, but the, the IFDC is, is, of course, the International Fertilizer Development Center. I'm sure most of you are probably well aware of this, though. I mean, I don't even know why I'm bringing this up. You guys know about phosphate mining, obviously. The idea that if we run out of fertilizer, we will all have to start eating only meat 
is insane. First of all, you can grow crops without modern fertilizer. You will not get as many. You will not get as good of a yield, but it can be done. Trying to produce enough calories to feed the human population with only meat would be impossible. Everyone would die. And in the resulting riots, I would track down Diana Rogers myself, and I would kill her for suggesting this catastrophically bad solution for our fertilizer problem. They try to downplay the carbon emissions of cows in various ways as well. And Diana says that Beyond Meat actually produces just as much carbon as cows do. But according to a study with the Center for Sustainable Systems at the University of Michigan, Beyond Meat generates 90% less greenhouse gas and uses 46% less energy. You can argue that it's not as healthy or it's not really a big solution, or that it doesn't taste good, or that you know you don't really need it because meat isn't that bad. But it is definitely greener. That is true. Diana also says that having all these cows around really isn't bad because there used to be bison around. And we killed all the bison, and we raised a ton of cows, and so really it's the same thing. It's just a bunch of big mammals everywhere. I'm pretty sure this is not true. Because there are 94 million cows, and even at the peak of bison, there were only somewhere between 30 and 60 million. Plus, I don't think it's really comparable because they were wild animals, not domesticated ones, so they behaved in different ways. Sort of along these same lines, Wolf says, well, you know, there's plenty of other animals that emit carbon. That's just what animals do. This isn't really a great argument either, however, since an environmental vegan would just say, Yes, but unlike, say, shellfish, we don't necessarily need all these cows. We need the shellfish for the ecosystem or whatever, but the cows can go, theoretically. Now, I don't want the cows to go because I enjoy eating them, but you see what I'm saying. Also, the thing he brings up about the Swedish Green Party wanting to kill all the moose is an exaggeration. There was just one MP who wanted to start hunting moose for environmental reasons. But it wasn't really part of the party platform or anything. Still, probably not the greatest idea. I can't imagine that that's the smartest NP in Sweden. Diana says there is a documented case of a baby dying of B12 deficiency because the mother was a vegan while breastfeeding. This isn't really what happened. The parents were vegan, but they were also crazy people who didn't believe in taking their kid to the doctor. So the kid died of pneumonia, not B12 deficiency. But it could have easily been avoided if they had just taken it to the doctor, which is the sad thing. Now, you may have thought that this was a food episode of JRE. And you were probably thinking, oh, I like the food episodes. And it was a food episode. But what it really was, was a schizo episode. If you listened carefully to the entire thing, then you already know what I'm talking about. Wolf says, quote, we don't have a solid endpoint other than decentralize the food production system. This is what he says about the documentary and the book. He says this is basically their only big endpoint. This is their idea. It's not really about you should eat meat. Now, what does this mean exactly? Well, they say that you shouldn't eat things that come from other places. 
So essentially, you should only eat things that are from your state. You should only eat things from your immediate area. This will never happen. This, this is telling Americans, hey, listen, not only are you going to pay more for food, but you're going to have less food options as well. Does this sound like an ideology that will fly in America? I think it is inconceivable that Americans would willingly choose to restrict their food options. I mean, we, in, we invented Jolly Rancher Pop-Tarts. I saw that at the store. And now this guy is saying, no, no more Jolly Rancher Pop-Tarts for you. You will eat whatever can be grown near where you live. So if you live in, like, Nevada, you will eat cactus and rattlesnakes and beef. That is all for you. Chocolate? Gone. You will eat beef instead. And not only that, but they say we should really go back to being an agrarian society where more people work on farms. The backbone of this new agrarian society would, of course, be the grass-fed beef industry. But why would grass-fed beef become so important? Why would any of this happen? They say that grass-fed beef is not healthier than normal beef. This is, that's, what, that's what they say. That is what they say. They also say that in terms of climate change and the environment, it doesn't really matter that much. They clearly don't think that it plays a major role in the environment. And Diana correctly points out that blaming consumer activities like eating meat for climate change is in fact a corporate trick to shift blame onto the general population. So then why exactly should we all be eating this grass-fed beef? Well, all that's left at that point is an argument that it, it might be more ethical. But this isn't going to appeal to many people, since those who really care about the cows will just go vegan and eat no cows. And there's not much point to this middle ground where you're fine with killing the cows, you just don't want them to get grain finished. You don't want them to have to live in a feedlot, but you're fine with eating them. What Rogan really should have asked in this episode is why these two think we need to go back to being farmers. Why? They, they never really say. Wolf at one point argues that farming is a job that will be hard to automate because it's so creative. Making cows, like making a movie, is such a creative process, he says, that it will be very hard for an AI to do this. This is the one explanation they actually provide for this ideology, which is a, a bold ideology, to put it mildly. An AI could not possibly manage a farm, so we should become farmers. This is the only AI-proof job of the future, is raising cattle. I, I doubt that this is true. This does not seem true to me. I mean, I'm sure that they have some sort of reasoning behind this whole thing, but they just don't really explain it in the episode. I'm actually, I'm not entirely unsympathetic to what they're getting at here, but it's three hours and they never really get into their actual motivation for any of this. Based on what they do say, I, I can't really figure it out. They don't really seem like Luddites. They don't seem like Kaczynski fans who have a problem with technology. 
My best guess is that either they are Kaczynski types, but they don't want to bring it up, or they just really love farming and cows. They just want everyone to hang out, have a good time with the cows. They just love cows. I don't know. And keep in mind, I am qualified to be an armchair psychologist because I bought a USB microphone. So if I don't know what's going on, it's, it's probably unknown. The other problem I have with these two people is that they refuse to admit that anyone could legitimately disagree with them. This is something I noticed throughout the whole episode, and I'm sure other people did as well. They try to explain away any intellectual opposition as part of a conspiracy, just like Randall Carlson does. They're never willing to just say, okay, some people think meat is bad for you, or some people think meat is bad for the environment. That's what some people think. I disagree. I think they're wrong, but that's what some people think. They aren't willing to say that. It's always, oh, these corporations are doing this as part of a conspiracy to consolidate food production and Bill Gates and the government is doing this and they're going to make a social credit system for beef buying at the store. At one point, Wolf even says he thinks Johns Hopkins publishes anti-meat papers for religious reasons as if they are somehow secretly run by Seventh-day Adventists. Anything to avoid admitting that some people disagree with them. They will go to any lengths to avoid that. And I don't understand why. If you want people to take you seriously, you can't just go around saying that all of your opponents are part of a secret cabal. People won't want to engage with you if you're just going to dismiss everything as a conspiracy. I swear, everyone who comes on JRE now is like a paranoid schizo. Even the beef shills are paranoid schizos now. What is going on here? I don't know what's going on. Unlike me, these people have no reason to think that everyone is after them. In my case, obviously, it is, it's justified because there are a lot of people who are out to get me. I mean, the signs are obvious. Like, literally, I mean, look around. You know, Google gang stalking if you want to know what's really going on. These people are just crazy, though. In conclusion, you know, I think this was a good episode. I thought I liked this episode overall. Go out and become a beef farmer. Don't listen to me. You know, I'm sick, so I probably don't know what I'm talking about. Please subscribe to the Patreon. I, I need money so I can afford the finest grass-fed beef. <laughs> um, there are five bonus episodes on there now. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening uh, to my uh, fevered ramblings. And I will see you in the next episode. Goodbye.